G'day, Richard here. Before we get to the show, I want to let you know about an opportunity. Have you ever wanted to participate in a scientific study? Are you or someone you know, an Aussie, aged between 18 and 70, who's type 1 diabetic and interested in making changes to your diet for improved health and well-being? Our guest for this classic episode, Jessica Turton, is recruiting for a study at the University of Sydney. If you qualify, it will include six diet sessions over Zoom with a practicing dietitian, one diabetes education session with a credentialed diabetes educator, as well as health assessments including blood tests taken at multiple time points plus medical supervision and support. The eligibility criteria are that you have to be a type 1 with diagnosis at least six months ago, a current HbA1c of greater than 7, you have to have an Android or iOS phone, be able to speak and understand fluent English, and be willing to make changes to your diet and required insulin adjustments with professional support. It has to be limited to Australia, unfortunately, but I know some Aussies listen to this show. The link to the recruitment is in the show notes. Places are limited, so if you're interested, go check it out. Okay, let's get Carl in and we'll start the show. Hi, I'm Richard Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. (laughs) I did some research which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carbohydrate intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey, man, that's me. I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I also used to be type 2 diabetic, but not quite as severely as Richard. I devoured all the information Richard sent me, and after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, I also went on the ketogenic diet. That was in February of 2016. By April, I was in full swing reversing my diabetes. We're not doctors and we don't give medical advice. We're just a couple of dudes on the internet who reverse their diabetes by following a ketogenic diet. Right. We just want to share our experiences and what we know about the science behind the ketogenic diet. Yeah, so we started this podcast to chronicle Carl's journey and to provide solid information to those curious about this dietary lifestyle. Right. And now we have over 200 podcast episodes, some of which have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah. And after failing miserably on Facebook, (laughs) we moved our online community to the ketogenic forums, where tens of thousands of people share their experiences. We also founded an annual ketogenic festival called KetoFest. Carl and I are both software developers, so we find ourselves at software conferences several times a year, and we tend to gravitate towards the conversations that happen in the hallways at conferences. Sure, the talks are great, but it's the community that we enjoy the most. Speaking of conferences, mm. I'm not going to NDC next week. Because, in Norway? Yeah, because I can't get there. They're shut oh, wow. down. Wow. They're not shut down, but there was a loophole. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah, I'm not going sure. to Norway. Okay. Anyway, KetoFest is a conference to discuss the latest research of ketogenic diets, but it's also a festival celebrating the yeah. ketogenic lifestyle. And, you know, we're currently planning KetoFest for October 2022. Nice. If you'd like to be notified when tickets are available, please add your name to the list at KetoFest.com. So, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? It's a diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, our cells preferentially burn fat. 
that produces molecules called ketones that our bodies use for fuel. Right. Our main molecular fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat, and in the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. But you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? Well, when you're starting out, you may have to, but then in a few weeks, as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy, when all of your calories come from fatty acids, the amount that you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy your body needs to run every day, but also the amount of fat that can be drawn down from storage. So how much do we need to restrict carbohydrates in order to get into that state? Well, that depends. Some of us who are metabolically disordered need to get below 20 grams a day. And somebody who's quite metabolically flexible can probably eat as much as 100 grams a day. What about stuff like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? Well, you need from one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean mass. Beyond that, you just waste excess by turning it into energy instead of using fatty acids. As for the other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs plus leafy green vegetables, you'll get most of those because those organisms that made those foods have already concentrated essential cofactors. Ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked or takeout, hot cuisine, hot cuisine, <laughs> <laughs> or just bacon and eggs. As long as your carbohydrates are low enough. And if you're an absolute beginner, check out our Starting Keto episode for more information at start.2keto.com. Well, let's check in. Richard, how have you been lately? Um, yeah, I saw an interesting video on YouTube from a guy with Asperger's about what it's like to be inside uh, somebody on the autism spectrum. And, you know, the view from the inside out, I was resonating with every single point. Really? Um, yeah, things like, uh, you know, you feel like an alien, you're not quite like other people, not in a vain way, but in a are you sure I'm supposed to be here way. Huh. Um, and it's like you're never quite sure if you're humaning quite correctly. Uh, social settings are fatiguing. So after a few hours of Keto Fest, I have to go sit in a darkened room to recharge my social batteries for like 30 minutes and then I'm good to go again. Um Sensory hmm. stimuli can be off-putting, like I can I can never remember song lyrics because I'm enjoying the music so much. Yeah, you mentioned um, that before. Yeah, it's just this weird thing about my brain. And also every day I wear the same brand of black T-shirt and the same brand of sunglasses, the same brand of shoes with the laces always untied but knotted in a special way so that they're not dragging. Anyway, I really think... Yes, let's hear it for the black uniform. I think I may be on the autism spectrum, you know, pending a professional diagnosis, of course. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it means, if anything. I I suspect that half of my friends are going to be saying to themselves, of course you're on the bloody autism spectrum, and the other half are going to be saying, no, you're not. What are you talking about? It kind of makes sense that you hired Mark Miller because... He has also, Yeah, he has Asperger's yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know, but it was, it, it was, it, I, I found it very interesting. So that was my, sure that is. was my epiphany for the week. Well, how's your week been, Carl? Pretty good. Um, feeling in control and feeling good. Thanksgiving was just me and my, my wife, and uh, I made a beer can chicken in the oven. I made really amazing stuffing with uh, Fox Hill Kitchens or Julie Bagels, Irby Croutons. Nice. Uh, my girls came by in the evening for a visit. That was fun. We played some cards, and I shared a flourless chocolate tort also from Fox Hill Kitchens. And um, 
I, I used uh, keto chow three or four times, I think four times last week. Nice. Excellent. And uh, my my favorite flavor this week is orange mango. It's good. You know what I make? Sometimes uh, I make it with a little uh, Gatorade Zero orange flavor and instead of just water to just give it a little extra punch, a little extra flavor flavor. That was good. Uh, should we say something about the long show last week? Yeah, sorry about that. That was kind of my fault. A, a listener complained to Carl that we weren't publishing new content, just our old shows. Yeah. So, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do, are we not talking enough? Here. <laughs> so we made an extra <laughs> long show that went for over 100 minutes of dense content in his honour. Mm. <laughs> Look, this week I'm going to republish another of my favourite episodes as a palate cleanser. This yeah. one's a good one. You know, for a change. Right. <laughs> My interview with Jessica Turton, dietitian and scientist. Uh, and we're also going to bo- rebroadcast the recipe from that episode, not because I'm lazy, but because when I was listening to that episode while researching what episode I should republish, I listened to the recipe and my mouth started watering. Oh, yeah. Beef cheeks with Bermonte gravy. Uh, look, that's a recipe that deserves to be republished. So that's I'm, good I'm stuff. A, I'm going to curate that for you guys. All right. All right, well, I guess that brings us to a little segment we call Well, I went to iTunes because that's the only way that I can get the comments is to install a Windows application. Stupid Apple. So these are the Apple reviews, right? Did I mention I'm a little angry because uh, I can't just copy and paste them out of iTunes, but... um, Anyway, this is from September 27th, 2019. That's my birthday. No kidding. It is, yeah. All right. You know, I didn't know the day, but I know when it pops up on my calendar, today is Richard Morris's birthday. So, (laughs) very good. Um, And the Spear Master says, I'm up to my, oh, by the way, it is a five-star review. I'm up to my one-year, one-meal-a-day ketoversary, and I've never felt better or more in control of my diet. So much of that thanks goes to Carl, Carey, and Richard for giving me the info I needed and radicalizing me in a good way to keep up with it. <laughs> but you're welcome. Sorry about the radicalization. but No, no, that's, uh, that's a compliment. I like that. Because you got to get radical because everybody's got yeah, their head do. in the clouds, right? Yeah, they do. Uh, Carl, there's definitely a correlation here with me starting to listen to your podcast about a year ago, but I'll leave the causation to the experts. <laughs> Correlation is not causation. <laughs> right. Sorry for taking a year to write you all a review. Much gratitude, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Well, look, people, these uh, these reviews, we're very grateful. Thank you very much for Absolutely. Uh, writing them. Um, we have so many positive reviews that, uh, you know, if ever I'm feeling down, um, you know, uh, looking at the reviews from people who've uh, who've uh, listened to the show and enjoyed it is is a great pick me up. And the other thing that it does is that uh, reviews on the Apple system will introduce new listeners to the show. So we, we you know right. we're grateful that people. It doesn't matter. Look, if you don't like the show, do a one star review. Um, we're going to call you out as a vegan on the show, but you know, <laughs> we won't come the, on. It, but, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of review it is. Um, the more reviews, the more, uh, podcast is, um, introduced to new, new people. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of important for us to get the word out that, uh, 
not for our own vanity, but really to uh, to try and get to more type two diabetics. So right. this is an important. So thank you for those people who do that. By the way, I would like to apologize to vegans everywhere for my behavior last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, we, we talked about this and I, I cracked a few jokes at vegans expense and, um, and, and Peter's like, you know, I'm so over that. This is, yeah. out, you know, outside the recording, right? He's like, yeah. I'm so over that. I'm not, uh, you know, Che Calvera anymore. Yeah. Uh, I just be, and he's totally right. You yeah. can, you can be a vegan and do keto. I mean, it's hard, but. But you can do that. So I did it for a month and I really enjoyed it. So um, yeah. I'd have no trouble. I'd have no trouble if I had to be vegan. Um, I could do it, and uh, it, you know, I'd have to be over lacto, so I'd have to have dairy and, and eggs. But uh, right, but, right. You know, that, anyway, uh, I just yeah. wanted you to know that this is a vegan friendly podcast from now yes. on. Yes, it is. You know, it should have been the whole time, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so, Richard, you want to tell us what we're going to listen to here? Sure. So I'm going to replay a podcast that we did quite a while back. It was episode 112, and it was Jessica Turton, dietitian and scientist. Jess is a dietitian in Australia who's studying her PhD at University of Sydney. Now, when I started this keto journey of mine over seven and a half years ago, all the dietitians told me that I had to eat a calorie-controlled diet for weight loss to slow the progression of my type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, and the diet had to be low in fat, especially saturated fat for cardiovascular health. And I needed to get protein from plants most, or, or mostly lean poultry and fish. And the diet had to be high in whole grains and fruit. Can I interrupt you here for one second? Mm-hmm. You're reminding me of an interaction I had just two days ago with uh, somebody, an old friend who was waiting for a bus outside of the shopping uh, center. And I said, you know, hey, how's it going? How you? And he says, oh, I had a, a massive coronary heart attack. Oh. And yeah, he said, I'm on a strict diet, no meat, no fat, you know, all vegetables and lean proteins. And my doctor put me on this diet, so I can't, uh, you know, I can't eat burgers and stuff, whatever, steaks. Just uh, made me sad, and it made me um, remember that the world hasn't caught up yet. Nah. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to your story. Yeah, so anyway, I was being told by all kinds of dietitians, the same way as your friend with the uh, Mm. dietary advice for his heart disease, um, that you know that my diet had to be Australian dietary guidelines. Every single dietitian, uh, certified diabetes educator that I saw when I was first diagnosed was mm. a dietitian. Independent dietitians I consulted with about diet. Even the website of the Australian Diabetes Organisation was all in lockstep with this dogma. Wow. And here's the thing: I was just about to embark on a diet that was almost the polar opposite: a low carb diet with no grains plenty of red meat, all my energy coming from fatty acids, and I was understandably concerned. Am I putting myself at risk of killing myself with this weird diet that all the subject matter experts warned against? Right. Well, it turns out that that diet reversed my type 2 diabetes, and I've been non-diabetic now for over seven years, and my lipid biomarkers are all excellent. Huzzah! Huzzah. Huzzah. <laughs> so I, I was predisposed to regard all <laughs> dietitians with some serious side eye. Mm. And then I met Jessica Turton at a low-carb conference, and I found out that not all dietitians were like that. Jess is a food nerd's food nerd. Food yep. is her driving passion from a young age. 
but it wasn't always a healthy relationship with food. She cycled between anorexia and bulimia through school and into uni, and then she discovered low-carb diets just as she was about to start a master's degree in nutrition. And that diet healed her relationship with food. Look, Mm. I'll let her tell her story, but let me just say that I find it inspiring when someone like Jessica challenges the dogma based on following the evidence and puts their neck on the line. This is one of my favourite podcast interviews because she is brave and smart but also gives us an interesting insight into how caloric restriction malarkey can screw you up. Oh, yeah. So here's my first interview with Jessica Turton, dietitian and scientist. Cool. Okay, so I'm I'm here with uh, Jessica Turton. Uh, uh, We're in low-carb Perth still. Uh, We've done a whole bunch of interviews from here. (laughs) And uh, Jessica did a, a presentation yesterday uh, about some research she's doing. Uh, she is a dietitian and she's also a PhD student uh, at the University of Sydney with Kieran Rooney. Yes, Dr. Kieran Rooney. Yes, and uh, he's a, a well-known low-carb researcher in Australia, isn't he? He is. Well, he's how I got into all of this mm. myself. So he is actually a lecturer at the University of Sydney mm-hmm. and he's the unit of study coordinator for the exercise and sports science degree, which was my bachelor degree. Mm-hmm. So that's where I learned all about the role of insulin and fuel utilization and mm-hmm. I really sort of delved into carbohydrate restriction. So it's nice. been awesome. Because he is himself carbohydrate restricted. He, he is on a low-carb, healthy-fat diet. Yes, yes. Did you know he was when he was teaching you? No, no. So, at the time, so this was my first year of my five-year degree mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything about low-carb back then, but I was interested in weight management and weight loss. Right. So, when I learned about, you know, all you need to do is just reduce insulin and then fat burning can be turned on, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that just seems so logical. <laughs> and so, I dived into it and I learned more about Kieran because I think at this time he had a few videos online and he mm. was on a few podcasts. Right. So, I learned more about him, but, you know, I was doing my nutrition of dietetics degree, which was mm-hmm. a separate degree to the exercise and sports science right. one. So, I sort of went on my own journey first. Mm-hmm. And then when I eventually came back to doing my master's, um, I got back in touch with him again mm-hmm. because I knew he was, you know, so knowledgeable in this world and I knew he was doing a lot of research in this world as well. Sure. And that's something I was so interested in. I just dived into the research, mm. found it incredible, as you would know, yeah. Um, yeah. especially for someone studying dietetics, right? right. So, Well, that's interesting. Dietetics is such an evidence-based practice and, and you were seeing the evidence that was leading you to the conclusion yes. of, of a low carbohydrate diet, which ironically is is something that's considered antithetical to the yeah. dietetic practice. So yeah. it's, it's a, that's interesting because uh, you know that might must have taken a lot of uh, personal risk on your part to observe that things mm. didn't seem to be lining up the way that you taught them. Yeah, and the interesting thing about me, I suppose, is that. So, I did my three-year undergraduate mm-hmm. degree, which was exercise and sports science. So, there was very little nutrition in that. Gotcha. It was very science-based. Yeah. And that's where I got into low-carb. And I actually went on my own journey with low-carb mm. and found out how amazing it was for weight management, um, blood sugar regulation, uh, energy, mentality, all those sorts of amazing sure. things. So, I was so deep into low-carb and then I had to do my Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics. Ah, right. So, it was a, a struggle a in a way. Yeah. yeah, because I was one of those people that just questioned everything. Mm. So, you know, I... 
I really enjoyed my master's degree. Like I loved it, but I was always questioning. So, you know, every time we learned about something, I was just like, well, why? You know, where's the evidence? <laughs> right. um, but I found this. Yeah. And I just don't know if my questioning approach was very supported. Right. Um, so, that's really what caused me to reach out to Kieran Rooney. I reached out to him again in my first year of my master's. So, this is four years after that lecture with him. Right. And we really got talking and he was really supportive throughout my master's degree mm. um, because I just – I just don't know. Like, I know low-carb is so evidence-based, mm. and this is what I was talking about in my talk yesterday. There is so much evidence for low-carb nutrition for obesity and type 2 diabetes, but I just don't think the dietitians are aware of it. Right. I just don't think they are. Um, you know, I was pulled up a few times during my degree and people would, you know, the lecturers would even say to me, you know, there's no, there's no evidence for what you're talking about, Jessica. There's no evidence for low-carb nutrition. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Right. I've seen it. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. I got into this through the evidence. Were you able to produce the evidence for them and were they able to – did they recant or did they um, – No, I, I sort of took a slightly – quieter approach mm. eventually. So, at the beginning, I was very much like, you know, stating my thoughts and questioning and it wasn't well received. Right. So, I sort of just went a little bit quiet and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this degree. I'm going to take out as much as I can. Because what a lot of people don't realize is we learn so much detail. Like mm. we go into so much detail about the science behind vitamins and minerals and medications and all these types of medical conditions. Like sure. it's a very intense degree. So, I don't yeah. want to undermine that at all. No. Um, I mean, there is a part where you learn about the Australian Dietary Guidelines, but that's like the first couple of weeks. Sure. So, that's where I was really questioning things. Mm. But as I said in my talk, yesterday, the Australian Dietary Guidelines don't apply to people with medical conditions. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting. And that's that's the fault line where we can start to maybe hopefully see some mm. change because clearly we have we have now uh, Ver the Verta study that shows that, it's, it, yeah. that it, it would be a malpractice not to offer a ketogenic diet to people who are mm. type 2 diabetic because mm. like 90% of people, not 90% of the subjects on that study um, uh, were off off their medication. You know, it's just outstanding. And 60% had seen a reversal in their, in um, their diabetes. In their diabetes. And yeah. so almost it, that study just by itself is, is, is sufficient to say that this should be available at least to diabetics. Mm. Well, if diabetics are not considered to be normal, um, then and and the ADG, the Australian Dietary Guidelines, is based around only healthy, normal people. Mm. Then clearly, there's an opportunity for for a, a new dietary guidelines available to diabetics, uniquely to diabetics, which you mm. know could allow a, a ketogenic or low carb diet. So yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I did um, a scholarship looking into a lot of the studies behind whole grain intake and cardiovascular disease, mm. and these were the studies that are used as the evidence base for the dietary guidelines. Right. And when you look through those studies, they filter out everybody who's got insulin resistance, <laughs> everyone who's over BMI 25, right. yeah. you know, so they're filtering out all the people that make up the bulk of our population. Like, yeah. let's be honest. 85% like, of us have exactly. this on this continuum. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, depending on when the study was was designed, but still you sort of look through that and you're just like, well, that's great for somebody that's under BMI 25 and completely healthy. Right. And to be honest, like, I don't know if this is because I'm a dietitian or what and the sort of people I surround myself with, but I don't really know anybody that doesn't have a risk factor like hypertension totally. or high yeah. cholesterol it's or be whatever. It's got to be like 90, 95%. I mean, 
in oh yeah certainly one in, yeah only one in 20 people is perfectly healthy really so well you know what I thought as well I actually wouldn't have been included in one of those studies because really? my LDL is very high oh, so right. they would have yeah. kicked me right out yeah wow. yeah yeah that's incredible so uh, you actually have a, a family history um, mm. of diabetes don't you yes a very strong one right. <laughs> <laughs> all my grandparents had or have diabetes. Type 2. Type 2. So, three of my grandparents, yes. So, my mother's dad doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So, essentially, it's very strong in my family. Um, But I think the most um, interesting side is probably my dad's side. Um, So, my grandmother, she had peripheral neuropathy when she was very young. So, I think in her 60s, she got it and she didn't have diabetes at the time. Um, So, she's, you know, been on a crazy journey herself, um, you know, weight gain and diabetes and any health condition under the sun. Mm. Um, and so, obviously, my dad was was predisposed to those types of things. And my dad's brother, so my uncle, actually died of a heart attack when he was in his late 30s. Wow. Yeah. So, very young. Yeah. So, it's, it's very strong in the family. And my dad... He actually was on an interesting journey and he is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about Mm. this and so passionate about diabetes. Um, So, he was, you know, he's been overweight for quite some time and he knew, you know, maybe sort of 10 years ago, he's like, something's not right, Right. you know. He was noticing he was very thirsty. He Mm -hmm. was noticing that he was getting a lot of weight around the middle despite what he would do. So, he was always going on a diet, always trying something new, like hats off to him. He does so much research Mm -hmm. and actually really looks into the science um, behind things and goes, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to do it, you know. And he's tried so many diets over the years. And so, I saw him struggling with his weight and all of those types of things. So, that's one of the reasons I got into nutrition itself. Ah, okay. But then what really caused me to be passionate about diabetes was when he ended up having a heart attack. Mm. Um, So, I think it was two years ago now he ended up having a heart attack. It was actually around the time he was getting married. Mm. So, he at the wedding, he was noticing he had some chest pain. And I mean, at the time, he thought he was healthy because he'd been to the doctor every single year saying, I think I've got diabetes. I think something's wrong with me. So, he was pretty much telling the doctor, like, look for diabetes, check yeah. it. I'm pretty sure I've got it. But his glucose at that point wasn't elevated his enough glucose to, was to normal. meet the diagnostic criteria. So, they just did like a fasting glucose, right? Right. Fasting yeah. glucose. I was like, you're fine. Don't worry. And I didn't know anything about, you know, insulin testing at the time. Yeah. So, I and I didn't even know my dad was going through a lot of this. Mm. And then, so, he ended up having a heart attack. Mm. And this was within six months or eight months of seeing a doctor who told him he was fine. Wow. Like, this could have been prevented. He yeah. was going to the doctor every single year. Yeah. I mean, if only there was some better testing that was done, like an oral glucose tolerance test would have with insulin, yeah. would have got this ages ago. Yeah. And I mean, his brother had a heart attack in his late 30s. Right. Why wasn't my dad getting all the testing that yeah. he could possibly get? Some people just can have a heart attack out of the blue. And mm. it could be a totally healthy person to have a heart attack out of the blue. So, it is a it is something that can happen with no other criteria, but um, for the most part, somebody who's diabetic um, may not their their glucose may not rise for twenty or thirty years after mm. the the beginning of the 
the process, but yeah, the, their insulin is going up right from the from the get go. Oh, yeah, and some of us, I mean, some some of us get it in the womb. Insulin is a big mo- molecule, can't get across the placental barrier, uh, but the glucose can. So if mum is carrying a lot of glucose, the fetus is now developing, and their uh, pancreas is having to produce adults uh, adult amounts of insulin. Yes, and so they they get an early start. So. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, you can pick that up with this craft test. You can do a craft test and pick these kinds of things up, as you know. Yeah. But it's just, it's just incredible. And and then all of the things he's he, he's saying, you know, that I mean, that the neuropathy, your mum's neuropathy, grandma's neuropathy that well, came through. Well, he had it too. He so had he it had well. it when yeah. he was going to the doctor. He's like, I've got peripheral neuropathy. Yeah. So he had all the warning signs. I mean, he had all the warning signs of diabetes. He didn't have the warning signs of like insulin resistance. He was far gone past right. that, and they yeah. still didn't pick it up. Yeah. And the thing is when he had his heart attack, so he had the stent and everything and obviously he's he's fine, so he mm. survived, um, but he had diabetes and they found out and sort of when they told him, he was just like, no, I don't have diabetes because I went to the doctor a few months ago. You told me I was fine. You don't yeah. just get it in three months. No. And they're like, um, yes, you do. Have a look at your sugars. Yeah. And they were through the roof. Right. And so, it's really funny because my dad documents all his meals in hospital. <laughs> Gosh, you should have seen what oh, he was being fed. Horrible, isn't it? Oh, Hos- my goodness. Hospital meals? Yeah. Yeah. I, Julie went to uh, a hospital once to um, for an operation on her sinuses and we, we interviewed all of the hospitals in Canberra to find one that was willing to do a ketogenic diet. Mm. And there was only one that was willing to do a ketogenic diet. Yes, I remember the story. And, and and they and they, they they refused to in the end mm. they refused to do it unless she was a, an epileptic child under the um, under the medication of a, of a of a doctor. But they had somebody standing over her, insisting a you know, big burly male nurse standing over her after her operation, making sure that she drank her orange juice and ate a, oh a my sandwich. Goodness. And they wouldn't let her have a visitor until she did it. And she was like, she's extremely stubborn, and yeah, she was like, that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna eat that. Yeah. <laughs> and so. They, I think they, they. She eventually ended up having to eat it, and then I had to smuggle cheese and. and <laughs> That's and stuff classic. In. So yeah, hospital food is horrible. So so he went through this this whole <laughs> poor bugger. Did, did poor he guy. did he end up going? He oh I. I guess he obviously went low carb, right? Of course he did. Good on him. (laughs) (laughs) So, he is really receptive to everything that I'm doing. Mm. So, obviously, when I found out all of this stuff, so I had been doing low carb myself Mm -hmm. at this time. I hadn't really, you know, uh, been shouting it from the rooftops to my family, but they knew that I was doing something that was working um, because I was obviously losing weight and becoming healthier myself. Mm. So, when I found out that this happened to my dad, he sent me, you know, the text straight away. And I was like, oh, my gosh. If my dad remembers, I literally wrote him like a 10-page dietary mm. plan, <laughs> which was basically reduced carbohydrate because this was just after I'd spent a year between my bachelor and my master's degree right. where I'd, for the whole year I was mm. literally researching mm. low-carbohydrate nutrition. Wow. I was so stuck into year. everything. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. And so, I sent him this, this plan and because I was, you know, he was now so invested in diet and health and nutrition sure. and he really wanted to improve his health, he was asking me about the science behind all of this. Mm. So, he didn't want to just know about what do I eat, Jess. Yeah. He wanted to know Why the science. Yeah. yeah. 
And so since then, he's been a massive advocate to his friends and family too. Mm. So, you know, with him, he has been able to lose quite a bit of weight. He's still on his journey. Mm. So, you know, it's only been a couple of years now and it does take a lot of time to reverse those yeah. habits. Yeah. Um, and he's seeing an amazing doctor, Dr. David Lim. Yeah, Yeah, he's, he's really supporting him awesome. through this. Yeah. And it's just fantastic to see the turnaround because, I mean, I almost think sometimes my dad could be a dietitian. Like, he's learned so much from me and so much himself that he's so educated in the science. And I think that's the key thing mm. here. And we see that, you know, from all the people turning up at the low-carb down-under yeah. events, yeah. that learning about the science behind this is what really is the driver mm. to get people sort of interested in actually doing it. Yeah. Because he knows that if he, like, for example, you know, if he wants dessert, it's fine. He has dessert. But he does that with an informed decision knowing his blood sugars are going to go high and knowing that he needs to maybe take some extra strategies Mm -hmm. to help them be lower the next day. So, whether it's fasting after or whether it's, you know, planning the day appropriately so he's not having all these glucose spikes across the day. So, I think it's just about making that informed decision. Some of us don't don't want to have, you know, the goal isn't perfect health, you know, but it's just improved health so you can have a better quality of life and yeah. I think that's what it's about for him. I think that's I think that's it for me as well. I, mm. I think weight loss was never a goal for me uh, mm. on the ketogenic diet. It was getting my glucose down um, getting and then getting my insulin down and getting my exposure to my to my blood vessels of insulin. That, yeah. And, and then, of course, um, all of the diabetic side effects, uh, retinopathy, uh, nephropathy and uh, neuropathy and, and uh cardiovascular disease, all of those are like vascular damage from insulin so mm. and potentially glucose as well. Get those two down. I really didn't care if I lost weight, to be honest. Exactly. Because you know, as long as I was as long as I felt good and uh, and I feel great and you know mm. I certainly have lots of energy and, and we, we, I should mention we just did a ride we did the bridge to bridge. In uh, Perth. In Perth, yeah. So uh, so how long was, was that again? We that rode was exactly an hour, an hour and thirty four mm. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was it, really nice. Yeah, it was so so. But I, I, you know, I, 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 for me, for me, it was never a, the the goal was never losing weight, and so I've never been f- obsessed by calories in or exercise out, you know, mm. as, as a as a model. But I, since I did the start of the podcast, I've, I've 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 met a lot of people who've been frustrated by that whole thing. So well, it's interesting you say that because that was definitely me. Mm. So well, when I was in high school, essentially, I got very obsessed with calorie counting. Right. Very obsessed with calories in, calories out. You know, like to the point where I was reducing calorie intake to eight hundred calories <laughs> wow. a day. Wow. And it took over my life. Mm. Like all I saw food, like I just saw food as calories, mm. nothing else. Right. And I was able to lose a lot of weight, mm. but as you heard in my talk, so yesterday when I spoke, I said that I'd lost 20 kilos since finding low carb. Sure. But the journey before that was a lot, it was crazy really. And that's really what has made me so passionate about this, you know, what's happened to my family, but what's happened to me too. Mm. Because I got lost in that calorie counting obsessive world. Mm. Um, and I lost a lot of weight when I was in I'll my bet. teens. It, it works. Yeah. I mean, it, it works to lose weight, but it's not all fat that you're losing. And it's Well, the thing is, I became a different person, you mm. know. You, we've heard about those starvational studies and you can imagine, I was eating 800 calories a day for a long right. time. That's just not your 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 metabolic rate would would have lowered and, and adjusted, and that's what happened. Yeah. and I became a different person. I think mm. because on the days where I couldn't hit, hit my calorie target, I was mad. Mm. I was angry. It's, right. It was my life. It's all yeah. I cared about, mm. and. 
So, sort of what followed that was me trying to go, this is ridiculous. I I eventually hit that point of realization where I was like, oh my gosh, Mm. I've lost a lot of weight. I'm not healthy anymore. I've like a lot of the relationships in my family life had sort of turned on its head because people didn't know how to deal with me because all I cared about was calories. Right. And sounds then, like you make a good dietitian though. <laughs> I would have been Sorry. a great dietitian. <laughs> I knew the calories in everything. Like right. even if I had a bite of something, I would record how much calories yeah. was in that. It was obsessive. But the thing is, I ended up on that journey because I was trying to do the right thing. Yes, because exactly. I was told you have to look at calories and you have to look at calories in versus calories out. And it makes sense because yeah. you know, if, if you if you if you restrict the amount of calories that you're eating and increase the amount that are going out, in theory, the difference should be made up from body fat, mm. and you should draw down body fat in theory. Exactly, you know? and you know it really isn't sustainable. But I think something switched over in my mind, and mm. it became quite dangerous. Yeah, where I was really just obsessed with it. So it, it isn't sustainable. But for someone who only cared about calories and weight loss, mm. it, it was yeah. in a very dangerous way. And. When I hit that point of realization, I was like, I've got to stop this. You know, I've got to gain some weight. I've got to be healthy again. You know, it's not all about weight. And mm. I was really lucky to hit that point of realization. Yeah. yeah. A moment of clarity. They moment talk, of they clarity. Exactly. Yeah. But what followed that, because I only saw food as calories, I didn't know how to eat. Uh, right. I was just like, and my brain, I because I was just only looking at food as a number, yes. I didn't know what was healthy anymore. I didn't know what was going to satiate me. I didn't know mm-hmm. what was going to fill me up. So, I sort of got into a really vicious cycle of binge eating. Oh, right. Yeah. So, it was awful. It was mm. really bad. And like if anyone, you know, out there has experienced a binge eating disorder, they'll know, you yeah. know, it's not just like at Christmas time where, you know, you overindulge. Right. That's not it. It's no. it's when you become a completely different person. Yeah. And it was, it was a really hard time because- because, you know, I'd lost all this weight mm. and I thought I was doing a good thing, but then I couldn't find my healthy weight. I didn't know what that was. I couldn't find my healthy diet. Mm. So, then I went on this journey of just like having no idea how to eat. Right. And that's how I put on all my weight. So, I spoke at the talk how I said I've lost 20 kilos with low-carb, high-fat. Yeah. But that was after a journey of putting on about 35 kilos. Wow. Wow. So, from my, my smallest point, yeah. I went up to about 86 or 88 kilos mm-hmm. from binge eating and the, the sort of after effects of what calorie counting can do to you. Right. So, that's why I'm so against calorie counting. Yeah, yeah. But it's also why I'm so passionate about LCHF mm. because when I was at my heaviest point and I'm quite tall, so mm. I didn't look so overweight. Um, you know, it was quite well you're, distributed. You're tall. It looks like you can you could carry a lot more weight and still look slim. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, people are like, whoa, 20 kilos. But like mm. on me, it was – I was definitely overweight. My BMI was probably like 29, almost 30. Mm. But we were just talking <laughs> this morning about how that doesn't matter. But still, just for people out there. Well, my BMI is around about 30 as well. So, this, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I wasn't like, you know, excessive, but I was carrying extra weight. And when you consider that my weight before that was about 48 kilos, right? right. So, that's a big jump. Yes. Um, so, when I was – I was going into my first year of uni to mm-hmm. learn to be a dietitian mm-hmm. and I was overweight. Right. And I didn't know how to that's eat. That's not a good start. That's not a good <laughs> and start. And not knowing how to eat and really being confused about, about food in I general. I was so confused. Yeah. It, it wasn't even funny. So, do you think you went into diet- dietetics then looking for uh, some answers to, for that? 
It's really funny because I knew, I'm, I feel that I'm very grateful for this, but I knew since I was like in year nine that I wanted to be a dietitian. Wow, real and vocation then. Yeah. yeah, so I've always been, I, I, I started the whole calorie counting thing because I, I loved food and nutrition mm. from a very young age, but it became dangerous for me yeah. um, through calorie counting and through the sort of, I guess, standard approach to weight loss. So, it became really dangerous. And so, that's why I knew I had to find an alternative way. Mm. And so, when I was sitting in that biochemistry lecture in my first year, you know, probably like eating some carbohydrate at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned about this. I was like, this just makes so much sense. So, I learned about insulin and I learned about how to access your fat stores, which I hadn't been able to do. And so, I just dived in and and started doing LCHF for myself. And that's how I was able to lose the weight and and be the weight I am now. And also to find satiety. I mean, you you didn't know your satiety. Uh, point and and LCHF is a really good way because the nice thing about LCHF is, is that satiety tells you how much you should eat and it and it feels good to be satiated. So it was so good. And you know what? For someone who had a very big problem with binge eating, mm. so I would eat food and just have no idea when to stop. Mm. And when I started doing higher fat eating, I was actually like. I can't eat anymore. Mm. I was actually, (laughs) my brain was telling me, you're eating food. You can stop now. Whereas for years before that, I'd never had that signal. Yeah, I don't don't either. Mm. I mean, I'm obviously the same problem you you do, the familial um, Mm. hyperinsulinemia. And um, I, I, back in the day, I used to be able to eat two two large pizzas by myself. and, And, you know, it was, I was, I I didn't have an off switch. And Mm. if I eat now a fathead pizza, Two slices. It used to be two large pizzas. Now two slices, and I'm done. That's yeah, it. So yeah. it's, it, and the satiety just works, and it works appropriately to keep it put. It gets us each to the point that we need to be for our body weight. So it's really amazing. And when I first started my journey with LCHF, because I was coming off a background of binge eating yeah. and still not knowing how much food was appropriate. I actually was eating about five or 6,000 calories, mm. <laughs> but doing a ketogenic sort yeah. of low-carb approach yeah. and still able to lose weight. Yeah. So- It's incredible, really. I tell you a funny story. One, uh, I, I have a dog called Bear who mm. uh, who eats kangaroo mints and Philadelphia che- uh, cream cheese. That's that's yeah, that's what he, what he gets like fed. Sounds like a good diet. It's a good diet, yeah. <laughs> it's a good diet for a dog. He mm. eats- So, so I, I calculated how many calories- calories he eats. He eats 1,600 calories a day. Nice. And I, I eat roughly 1,600 calories a day and I'm four times his, his mass. He's only 26 kilograms and he won't put on weight. He's mm. a teenager and he's mm. just, we just have different metabolic rates and we exactly. do different things with energy during the day. Exactly. And so it, it, you know, it's fascinating. And, and yet his, he doesn't get a, the option of a satiety signal. He, <laughs> he eats whatever's in the bowl. But I, my satiety signal is just getting me to the point of where I need to be and just mm. keeping me there. And it, it's a higher BMI than, you know, ideally if I was to look at BMIs, I might say, oh, I wouldn't mind being down around between 20 and 25. Mm. That's not where my satiety wants me, be, me to be. So, Well, that's the thing because – Weight loss is great, yes, but what is so much more important, and I think for you as well, is the freedom from food Mm, that you get. Like I was in this dieting cycle where my weight was just never stable Mm. and my mind was never stable. All I could think about was how many calories was in a food, (laughs) what was that food going to do in terms of putting on body weight. All I could think about was just weight and calories. Mm. And then 
now to be able to just be so free from all that. Like yesterday, mm. I didn't eat the whole day. I right. gave a presentation yeah. and either. my energy yeah. was just pumping <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and like I didn't even think about food. And it was just so amazing because like I know I've been LCHF for quite a while now, mm. but when I originally switched over and started, you know, I would – usually binge eat once a day, right? So, then when I started to realize that I wasn't binge eating, I was Mm. like, my life has changed. Mm. Even if I didn't lose weight, Mm. it would have just been totally worth it for me. My brain's working differently now. My relationship to food has changed. My relationship to food has changed. Like, I can so confidently say, like, my relationship is so good with food right now. (laughs) Yeah. And- I think I'm a different person too. Like, mm. you, if you asked my family, when I was going through that time, I was not a nice person to be around. <laughs> okay. Not a nice person. Uh, I'll take but, the word for it. <laughs> <laughs> but now, like, it's just so different. And I think that is the biggest, biggest win when mm. it comes to this type of nutrition. Yeah. And so, I'm never going back to calorie counting and I would <laughs> never suggest calorie counting to anyone because no. I know how toxic it can be. Well, well, listeners, that's that's the that's the – Considered authority mm. of a dietitian. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Tell me about this study that you're working on now. You can't. Yeah. Are you, the the results are still embargoed, right? So that's the systematic review mm. that I did. So I was really lucky, actually, as part of my master's research degree, um, they let me do my own project. Right. So usually what happens is you just tack on to another PhD student that's already doing something. Mm-hmm. But because I'd been having a lot of meetings with Kieran, every time we spoke to each other, we'd talk about a study we wanted to do. Right. And so when it was coming out to my research component, I requested if I could do a study with him. Mm. And we decided, well, let's, you know, the, most people don't think there's any evidence for low carb or many people don't think there is. So, let's review the evidence and let's Mm. bring it all together. And we actually found that that's already been done for pretty much everything. So, it was already done for type 2, it was already done for obesity. And well, we're like, you know, we're not really showing anything new. The evidence is already out there. But then we realized there is a massive gap for type 1 diabetes. Right, yeah. There is just no research or Mm. there was no high-quality systematic reviews anyway Mm. to guide us in what amount of carbohydrate is optimal for this population Right. where that should be the most important thing. I mean, people with type 1 diabetes, they can't tolerate carbohydrate. Mm. It's literally a disease of carbohydrate intolerance. Yes. And we haven't got any high-quality systematic reviews Incredible. looking at the evidence. Yeah. Wow. So, we're like, yep, we're going to be the first. Fresh territory. Yeah. Lovely. yeah. Yeah. So, we did a systematic review of mm-hmm. all the studies investigating low-carbohydrate diets for type 1. Mm-hmm. And... We did our systematic review quite differently to what a lot of people do their systematic reviews like. So, instead of just including randomized controlled trials, because we knew there was going to be like no evidence out there, right? Yeah. We included every study design. So, Mm -hmm. if it was an N equals one case study, we we got it. Mm -hmm. Um, If it was a pre-post intervention study or a cohort study, observational study, like we knew that the evidence would be scarce. We're Mm -hmm. like, let's just get everything. Collect it all up. And you Mm -hmm. got everything, whether it it supported your- Hypothesis or not? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We this didn't was care. An enti- you wanted to get everything and then put it through the filter and work mm. out where because you stood. Because I, I am genuinely interested. I mean, we get taught as dietitians, you know, to sort of go by what the person's already eating. Right. So whatever carbohydrate amount they're already eating, try and help them sort of just make it a bit more, I guess, um, controlled in terms of so that they can calculate their insulin dose properly. Mm-hmm. So we don't really get taught what the correct dose is, and I'm genuinely interested in finding that out. Mm. I mean, I know low carb is so good for so many things, but I also know that there's that sustainability aspect as well. 
Mm. And with type 1s, you can get diagnosed at a very young age. Right. Mm. So, it is important to actually have that open mind. And so, we went in with an open mind. um, But we found some pretty amazing results. And I presented some of the studies at the low-carb um, conference in Perth. Mm. And, you know, we had a couple of N equals ones in there, right. which is yeah. quite fun because yeah. we wouldn't have picked those up otherwise if sure. we were doing just an RCT systematic yeah. review. So, we picked up these N equals one and, um, you know, one of them that I didn't actually present was um, Dr. Bernstein. Really? Yeah. Okay. His own st- his, he, on himself, yeah. He published an N yeah. equals one on himself right. in 1980. But that, why isn't that in the, in the literature? Nobody I mean, knows seriously, about it. Seriously, yeah. So, exactly. Wonderful, so, yeah. We're really excited about the way we did our systematic review because we think it kind of sets a bit of a standard for yeah. other people and particularly for areas that aren't well studied. Yeah. So, of course, for obesity, you can look at systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials mm-hmm. and you can be like, yeah, that's cool. We've got lots of evidence. But for something like type 1 diabetes and carbohydrate restriction, there's no evidence. So, you can't just rely on um, randomized controlled trials anymore. Right. As we heard yesterday, there's people out there that need help now. Mm. We can't wait for these million-dollar randomized controlled trials to be done. No. We need to look at everything that we've got. Mm. So, it was fun that we had some N equals 1s in there. I loved it because yeah. I'm an N equals 1 myself. We, we both are. Yeah. <laughs> we both yeah. are. Well, I'm not type 1. You know, do you? But, I mean, no, so no, we're both but in our own. Diet. Exactly. Yeah. So. So, um, Dr. Bernstein's study was was really cool. He he gave a lot of um, information about his insulin. Yes. And so, he was able to reduce his exogenous insulin from 80 units per day, which is mm-hmm. quite high, yeah. to 25 units per day. Wow. Yeah. And the most incredible result was how much his hypoglycemias went down. So, he was having, I think, I think he said, and I can't remember off the top of my head, it was between two and five severe hypoglycemic episodes a week. <gasps> wow. I've so, only ever had one and it was the scariest well, – actually, no, two – the scariest uh, moments of my life. And and I, this was when I was on um, a, a anti-glycemic uh, drugs. So, yes. you know, um, in the early days and I was on the high-carb diet. The only way I've ever had hyperglycemic uh, events was reactive hyperglycemia mm. on the diet that they give you yes. with 300 grams of carbs <laughs> a day. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, I imagine like – I've never had a, a mm. hypo, obviously, but I think it would be so scary. Yeah. And I've had a few patients actually tell me that they've had hypos in their car, mm. you know, and one of Which my- Which can kill people. Oh, yeah. 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 So, mm. so, so it's incredible. So, he got his um, severe hypoglycemic events down to two a year. Wow. So, amazing, amazing. Mm. And, I mean, there are some amazing results coming out. So, the the systematic review we did has been provisionally accepted for publishing. Okay. So, we're really excited. And, and when that does get published, we're going to spread it around yeah. so we'll, people can see. We'll put it in the show notes. In Fantastic. fact, if it's, if it's pretty soon, we might actually hold back the the – the podcast until it's available yeah, and, and we'll put it in the show notes so that everyone can read it, which is awesome. Awesome. Oh, well, th- thank you very much for spending time with us today. Um, it's been a great interview and you did a wonderful presentation yesterday. I know it was your first and you were thank nervous you. <laughs> and you were standing in for Dr. Rooney and you did a mm. wonderful job. So uh, thank you and congratulations. Thank great you study. so much. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember meeting Jessica at Keto Fest Down Under. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. She came and it's- spoke at Keto Fest Down Under. We recorded with her twice. This one that we just replayed, I was actually in Connecticut at the time when we, we recorded with her. But right. uh, the second time she just delivered her presentation at Keto Fest. So, yeah, no, that was that, that was good. The other thing about that episode, 112, is the recipe in that episode is beef oh, cheeks. Oh, yeah. 
And you remember, <laughs> we, sh- we should let Carl and Richard tell this story, right? Let's let them do that. Well, then let's uh, share some uh, recipes. You know what's great about doing that in the studio? Yeah. We have a compressor limiter, so I can scream as loud as I can. <laughs> Okay, let's try that compressor out. All right. Well, uh, I'll go first. Um, Richard and I have a sort of a one-two punch that goes together, Mm -hmm. and it came from experience. Uh, And mine is a braised beef cheek. Mm. So we were on our way to Restaurant Depot uh, to shop for Keto Mini Fest just a couple of days ago. And I thought we would stop at this meatpacking place, Westerly Meatpacking. Um, because they have chicken skins, and we were planning on doing chicken skin crackers. Yeah, how many? It was like ten bucks for like uh, two ten kilos pounds. or something. Ten oh, pounds, dollar a pound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but they had other meats and stuff, and so, yeah, what the heck? You know, mm. let's check them out. Sure. And Richard sees the beef cheek. He says, "Oh, we got to have that. <laughs> <laughs> so good." So, uh, beef cheek obviously is the cheek, uh, the jowl of yeah. a cow or yeah. a, a steer. Yeah, and uh, it's a. It, it's very kind of tough because it gets Rubbery. a lot of work. Yeah. Well, this is the muscle on a cow that works all the time. Yeah. Yeah. This, it, I think for, for, we know for mammals, the, the lower leg is also yeah. working a lot because they're standing and walking all the time. Mm. So, you know, shanks are delicious mm. and, and the lower leg is a delicious part of the animal. But you got to cook them low and slow. You do. And it's yeah. the same with the, with the, the cheeks is continually moving the jaws yeah. to chew the cud. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about it, the, the buttery parts of a, of a cow are the muscles that do no work. Right. You know, this is the, yeah. the, the, the tenderloin. filet and tenderloin, yeah. But yeah. The, it's the ones that do all of the work that are the tastiest. Yeah. So we're going to do this low and slow, and this is a mm. braising method that works with any kind of tough meat. Uh, this beef cheek was just amazing, and it had really nice fat when it melted. Mm. Now, we did it in an Instapot. We did. So, but I've done this method with other tough meats and it works really, really well. So what you're going to do is uh, preheat your oven to 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Now you can go anywhere between that and 325, but if you want to do it low and slow, 250 is good. Right. So you want to salt and pepper your beef cheeks, maybe two to three pounds, Mm -hmm. you know, it's whatever, whatever it comes in. Now you're going to make a mirepoix. So chop up two stalks of celery one small onion. If you want a few carrots in there for flavor, that's okay. But, you know, just watch carrots. Uh, Two bell peppers or capsicum in Australia, four cloves of garlic, some thyme, and chop all that stuff up. Now, you coat the bottom of a Dutch oven. And we use these Lodge cast iron Dutch ovens. They're great. From Lodge, yeah. Lodge, yeah. Mm. Coat the bottom of the Dutch oven with olive oil. And then you put it on high heat on the stovetop and get that smoking hot. And now you're going to sear the beef cheek on all sides until it's caramelized. It's about three minutes per side. Yeah. You want to get a nice crust on it. This is actually for the flavor. Yeah. Because this is the, this the is the car- reaction. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So now you want to uh, deglaze the pan with about a half a cup of dry red wine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, scrape all the f- bits off the bottom if you got any. Yeah. Now bomb. add your veggies. Mm-hmm. Saute that up for about four minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not a whole lot of time. And just place the beef cheek right on top of those veggies. Now, you're going to put the cover on and cook that 250 for at least five hours. 
We did it in an Instapot in two hours, and it was still a little bit tough. It should yeah. have gone another three. If you do use an Instant Pot, uh, take it out after two hours, and if it's and try and stick a fork through it. And if the yeah. fork doesn't just slide in, if it meets some resistance, yeah. put it in for another hour, yeah. and what happens is all of that sort of connective tissue turns into gelatin. It's delicious. Yeah, and the same way with slow braising. If you can't mm. stick a fork in it, just leave it in for put a while. Put it back in again. Yeah. yeah. At that low temperature, it's going to just not six seven hours doesn't really matter right yeah so now you want to take it out of the oven remove the beef and allow it to rest tented meaning that you put you know some foil over it to keep it warm for about five minutes Mm -hmm. and for what to do next i give you richard morris so what i suggested we do is make a sauce called a burr monte which is uh, monteing is a process of sort of adding fat to a hot sauce to make it glisten and make it and thicken it slightly. Mm. And the French have this technique called Bermonté, which is using a butter monte. And it's um, it, it's essentially the, the 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 trick is you could you, you can make a Bermonté with just water and butter. You put a little bit of boiling water on a pan. You take the temperature down so that it's no longer quite boiling, and then you whisk in little cubes of cold butter. And mm. what happens is you end up with a a thickened uh, sauce. And the Water keeps it from burning, and that's, that's the trick. Right. That you know, the as trick. it evaporates off, that butter just melts, and it's delicious. Yeah, and this is a technique that uh, that we saw Robert Ramsey doing at RD eighty six. Yeah, last well, night. So what we did was uh, we took all of the juices that came off the beef and the beef cheeks, and mm. all of the vegetables, and we put them in a blender. Yep, magic bullet. And we whisked, we basically blitzed it to mm. to, to turn the, the vegetables, that these vegetables have been cooking for two hours, so right. they just disappeared into nothing. Yeah. So it became a little bit like a soup. Yeah, and it was it was it was quite watery still because yep. we we'd added a little bit of water into the to, into the mixture to to um to uh, loosen it a bit. So mm-hmm. uh, what happens then is we added some cold butter cubes. So we mm. cut cold butter mm. into cubes and we added them to the the blender. And we blitzed it. Yeah. And this is the same technique. We're going to put links in the show notes yeah. of techniques for making Bermonté. But by adding butter, the butter thickened the sauce. Right. And so it was like, what would you call it? It, was like, it, it felt like it had a gelatin yeah, in like it. Or, a, like a gravy texture yeah. almost. And, and so when you do this, you, you want to do it at the very end of the process, right before you're going to serve it. Yeah. And what Robert did last night was he actually added this uh, Bermonte to the mirepoix soup to mixture. Stock, yeah, yeah. That was really reduced, mm. you know, so yeah. it was really thick. And then... He took the the pork shanks, which we had for dinner last night, and just sort of swirled the butter yeah. around with it, yeah. and it just made this glistening, thick gravy. Wasn't it good? It was delicious. Yeah. So, but when we did beef cheeks, that was also delicious. The was. gravy was the best part of the beef cheek. Absolutely. So, you know, this this is all of the flavors coming out in the in the uh, uh, you know, sauce, and then it's just the texture of the beef. Once that all of that connective tissue in the beef turns into gelatin, mm. it's like taking a it's it, it, it's like taking a mouthful of of I guess it's, it's, it's like gel, gelatinous. Yeah, it's food, like jelly, and almost. it just coats the outside yeah. of your mouth. It's absolutely delicious, and it breaks down just the right level. You don't have to chew it. Yeah. It's it's just delicious. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's a show. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you get as much out of this information as we do in putting it together. You know, Two Keto Dudes doesn't take ad revenue. We have no benefactors with hidden agendas. 
That's right. It's listeners like you who keep our lights on. And there are a few ways that you can support us, all of which are listed on our website at support.2keto.com. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.